To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's going on, guys? Got a brand new podcast for you. So this week, I have back on my friend David Brinker. Uh, David Brinker, he's been on the podcast before. He's just a great human being. I just, I always really enjoy our conversations, and and today is no different. Um, you know, we definitely talk about hunting and stalking and all this really in-depth bow hunting conversation. And then we get into some deeper stuff just on on personal happiness, depression, anxiety. Um, it, it's just a real important conversation, and I'm real proud to put it out. And, and uh, yeah, happy to call David one of my friends. And um, he's got his, his album. He's constantly working on his music. Uh, I got to hear one of his songs, Altitude, live at one of the Western Hunting Expos. And I have figured out how to put his song at the end of this podcast. So I'll have his song up, uh, Altitude, at the end of the podcast. Uh, you can go get it or purchase it off iTunes. He's got a couple different albums in there. Um, yeah, he's just a just a great guy and uh, happy to have him on the podcast. Excited to release this one to you guys. Sponsor for today's show is Sitka Gear. Sitka, it's just an awesome company that that makes technical mountaineering gear, and their their gear really does make me better in the mountains. Uh, you know, there's no bad weather, there's just bad gear, but if you dress right for it, you can be out in any conditions. I mean, even yesterday, I went for a little horn hunting walk, and it, it was a ski, and then hike up a mountain, and uh, gosh, it was about five degrees with the north wind uh, up on the mountain up there. I was just so toasty, just having the right gear for the conditions. And and Sitka makes gear for hot weather hunts for the early season. It makes gear for for you know elk season, mid season stuff that's quiet that hunts really well. The best camo pattern going. I just love that sub alpine uh, pattern with the tans and the greens. Just seems like you blend in. Uh, and then stuff for cold weather hunts. I was hunting cold weather, uh, late season Montana killed a good buck, late season Idaho, just bitter cold below zero and wind blowing, and uh, Sick of Gear kept me out there. So I uh, really appreciate all the support. It's a great company. If you guys are in the market for a new piece this season, uh, make sure to look at Sick of Gear. Over there at Eastman's, um, we've just released our new program, ta- uh, Tag Hub. Tag Hub is this great new system to be able to search states and units and, and to be able to dissect the information to to search for just good bow hunts or just good late season rifle hunts. It's got all the information of the MRS and more. The guys have put a ton of work into this. Uh, all the information from all the state agencies, uh, not just the premium units, but the over-the-counter units. Uh, uh, what a great asset for Western hunters. So uh, the new Tag Hub is launched. Make sure to go check that out. Uh, check out our Beyond the Grid. Uh, we've also got our magazines, Eastman's Hunting Journal, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, just great magazines. They do have the MRS section in that. We have a promo code for the podcast right now. It's Elevated 220. Text that to 22828. It'll get you a subscription to both magazines and get you a free Outdoor Edge replaceable blade knife. 
And with that, uh, let's get this conversation rolling. So, um, David Branker, I'm your host, Brian Barney, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Trips either have been lucky incidents where a buck pushed a doe by people mm-hmm. or in breezy conditions. Those are yep. the two ways, like, because we're not hunting water, so that's out. So you need breezy conditions or you got to get lucky that the, because the chances of you with no wind stocking up on a coos, I don't know. Maybe I suck at stalking. No, I thought I was pretty decent. You gotta have wind. You gotta. I, I think they're harder than axis deer. Yep, they are. Yep, they're more switched on, yeah. tougher than axes. Yeah. If you can catch one in the right spot, they're not. They're not impossible to kill. Yeah. You just gotta get them in the right spot. Yeah. So maybe we'll just get right into the yeah. podcast because yeah. this is an interesting conversation yeah. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. the audience. Okay, I'm live here at the expo. So uh, lucky enough to have David Brinker, one of my friends, stop by again. So we're chatting on the podcast. Thanks, David, for taking the time. Man, I was I was glad you asked, man. I, last year's conversation was one of my favorite conversations I've ever had on a podcast. Dude, one of my favorite conversations in general. There's a lot of pressure on us right now. <laughs> yeah, right. We've got to live <laughs> up to last year. <laughs> well, the conversation always comes easy with you. And uh, we were actually just talking about coos deer. Um, and it was such a good conversation. I had to stop it and press record <laughs> so we could talk a little bit more about it. But, yeah, we were talking about uh, uh, this year and hunting mule deer a little bit, those Sonoran Desert mule deer. Yeah. Aren't those things cool with the – they have good genetics. They're dark, heavy yeah. horns, and they're, they're big. You know, I've always – I've always kind of said, well, Arizona mule deer, unless you get the strip or the yeah. kaibob, they don't get yeah. that. But they get big down there in the snore, and they're just tough to kill. They do, and they're in they're in really interesting country. It's like the first – I hunted the mule deer for two days this year after I got really frustrated with coos deer, which we can get back on that topic. Yep. But uh, we went out in this just huge expanse, miles, thousands and thousands and thousands of acres of just flats. And there's barely any water out there and not a lot of deer sign. We just got, like, some hot tip that there's a couple big bucks living out there. And it, you're sitting there glassing, like, there isn't a deer out here. What the hell would a deer be doing out here? And, uh, man, but once you find them, they are so fun. And they actually, the, the, at least where we were hunting, the terrain is m- much more executable than where the coos are up in the mountains to me because you get a lot more of those arroyos, like the soft sand, the dry creek beds, okay. and the, the, the undulations, whereas where the coos, where we were finding the coos is up in those steeper rocky slopes where it's harder to hide from and it's way harder to hide your noise. But okay. I got, uh, this year, I got two stocks on mule deer. Both days I hunted them. They were both great stocks that I didn't, I didn't end up getting them just because of other circumstances. But uh, at least with coos deer, shoot, you could go for two weeks and not get a great stock, mm-hmm. as you know. Mm-hmm. Well, um, hunting, I think successful bow hunting, a lot of it has to do with the terrain you're hunting. Mm -hmm. And I learned a hard lesson this year. But, you know, those mule deer, like you say, um, the the habitat they live in, they like to live in the big flats. But there are some roles and some features. Now, I was hunting them in the wrong country where you were hunting them in the right country. Mm. So I got in those flats and I started to get high points and I started to move across the desert, learn these big flats. And I started finding mule deer and started finding bucks. The problem was is I picked it was too thick of flats, too thick mm. with cactus and oh. brush and things that when I disappeared off the vantage point, I lost all perspective yeah. and I couldn't fi- I was just yeah. lost in the desert. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe some tracking or something cuz there yeah. were some big bucks living yeah. in there, but it just wasn't the right habitat. So I need to keep searching and find a little bit more open terrain with more features like where you were hunting. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, trust me, I had that happen too. I got about a a mile off on a stock. <laughs> <laughs> but what I, my, the lesson I learned that day, I, 
the, the buck had bedded. I had uh, Ryan Lampers and uh, another friend with me, Brad, and uh, we had spotted this buck. He bedded in a great spot, but I had to make about a mile and a half rounder to get the wind right. But there was a, a, a big arroyo that just went right up behind him and then came right up the draw in front of him. And so I made this big game plan. And <laughs> just like you said, when I dropped off the high point, it's like an anthill in the middle of the desert. Mm -hmm. You know, you drop off. And even like 300 yards into the block, I looked back at where we were and I looked where I was going. I'm like, crap, I should have marked this better on my Onyx. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I can do it. And I, f I start walking through the desert and I left my water with them because I thought it was only going to... I was, it's kind of dumb. Don't ever do that, folks. Always take your water. But I'm like, I just chugged a bunch. I'm like, I don't want any extra noise. Mm -hmm. I want all my stuff gone because it was really quiet that day. And <laughs> I start walking. And like 45 minutes later, and I make pretty good progress in the country. It's pretty easy hiking. I'm like, none of this looks familiar. And I have no idea where the buck is. So this isn't good. So I had to sit down and just really dig into my Onyx and be, <laughs> try to figure out where the buck was. And I drew the, I did a, a distance from where I was and where the buck was. And I was a mile off on the stock. <laughs> so by the time I got to the buck, I was so dang dehydrated and so frustrated. And then the wind switched and I had to come in a different direction. I ended up getting um, uh, 20, or, uh, 30 yards from the buck. But uh, his his does caught me. Unfortunately, I couldn't see. He was he was laying in the brush, and I the, the, all the does stood up in bow range, and even a little buck came up. But uh, he ended up busting. But I learned a lesson. Next time I go down there and I'm stalking out in those flats like you're talking about, I'm going to take a lot more time before I leave, and really really mark up my my on onyx or whatever visually to get my point. Because in the mountains you can. I can kind of eyeball it and see, okay, there's a huge boulder there. There's this tree there. But once you get out in those flats, there's no perspective left, yep. nothing. You have nothing to go off of. And even when you're by the buck, it doesn't look anything like where, what you thought it did, mm -mm. you know? Yeah. Well, and a lot of guys, uh, the, the radios are legal out there, mm -hmm. two-way communication in Arizona. Mm -hmm. A lot of guys use that. I can see where it's, it's highly beneficial. Oh, yeah. You know, just to have somebody on the vantage point to watch, just to know that that buck's still there. But I am so surprised that you were able to make sense of that and still get on that yeah. buck being a mile off. Well, off. luckily he was uh, he was. That was the that was so was so embarrassing about it. It was the there was a couple dry arroyos like small creeks, but there was one main like old riverbed like it's huge, and I, I couldn't believe that I couldn't even find that dang thing. Yep. Like you just get down there and I, I couldn't find it. Mm -hmm. I, it was probably once I did find it, I'm like shoot, this thing is a hundred yards wide, and I could not find it without my onyx. Mm -hmm. I can see how someone could get real lost in the desert, which is oh surprising. Oh, my gosh, in those flats. Yeah. Yeah, so I need to keep looking and find the right terrain. But the hard lesson I learned in terrain was when I switched to coos deer. And so we talked a little bit about coos deer. They are the most switched-on animal on the planet, little desert whitetail. And they're not impossible to kill, but, man, oh, man, are they tough. So I have this spot that I found over there, this drainage that I found a couple years ago that I really like. And I almost killed a deer in it two years ago. I had him in bow range, didn't work out. So I went back to this spot because it's been so good. And uh, it, it's off the hook, coos deer hunting. There's bucks cruising all over. There's bucks that go 100, 110 inches. I mean, I saw, you know, a big four on top this year that had to be over 110 inches. I saw him twice. I made plays for him. But the problem was the terrain. Yeah. It was too open and the canyons were too big where you couldn't ever get a visual cross canyon shot. And I think when those animals get switched on, you have to almost catch them in a better spot. You yeah. just you can't make those mediocre spots work. No. And so 
uh, me and my buddy, we were just beating our head against the wall four days, but we couldn't leave because we'd see, like you say, 10, 15 bucks a day, does all over, they're cruising everywhere, they're rutting. It's like, man, it's just a matter of time, but we never got a close call in there. So finally, I had to call it quits and just look for new terrain. Once we got new terrain, my buddy got a shot right away. He drew three times on another buck. Mm. We're in bow range of another big one standing on Mm. a toe. And it was just the country we were hunting them in. So it was tighter canyons and coolies. And instead of getting on the same side, we'd like try to get on the opposing side of the small little micro drainage and shoot across. Or what we'd do is we'd get there and usually that buck would disappear bed, but we'd know he's still there, and then we'd just wait him out. Wow. And then he'd get up. So we did have some pretty good success doing it, but that's coos are tough. I think I'm I'm two for six on those things. For six years of hunting, I think I've killed two good coos Well, bucks. you're ahead of me. I've been four times, and I've let one arrow go. Ah, oh, they're so tough, uh, man. That's an interesting strategy, though. I, I that, That's smart. Yeah, it's almost like that's kind of what I've come to. It's like. The area we're hunting, every drainage has deer in it. The, the deer are not hard to find. Yep. I mean, and there's some drainages that have more, and there's pockets and stuff, but there's deer basically everywhere. You get out of the truck, you can find something. But you got to hunt the train. Mm-hmm. Like, you got to find those areas that are, okay, I could actually legitimately make a stock in this basin, and then you hope there's a buck there that you want to sh- I think that's much higher odds. So mm-hmm. towards the end of this last trip, we did find an area um, that's kind of more of that uh, rolly, grassy uh, it's got little draws and stuff, a little bit more undulation, not so much of the really brushy, rocky, steep stuff. And there was less deer in it, but the deer that were there were killable. In fact, the first day we hunted it, Brian Call killed one. Um, and uh, But then I got distracted by mule deer, and I left that area. <laughs> so if I ever go back down there to hunt those things again, I'll go to that area. Because even with no wind, you can kind of get around in there. It's it's just you're only dealing with grass, which is a little loud, but it's not as loud as that 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 like walking on rice krispies on all that, that loose, loose rock is yeah. horrible yeah i do it's impossible yep I, I i brought down these uh like knee-high leather moccasins this year thinking that was going to be the ticket and it did help i would say it helped 30 percent, but it's still loud you mm-hmm. can't you, and you're not going to walk barefooted or when you try walking in your socks down there in the cactus and There's stuff no you're way. miserable i yeah. tried it once this year it yeah. was not fun it's uh Noise is such a major challenge with bow hunters for everything we hunt, but especially in that rough terrain like that. Um, always looking for like hard trails to walk down yeah. or approaches, but it seems like there's never a good approach when you find a buck or you're always in the, the noisiest country, uh, like when you're trying to make yeah. a stock, you know, yeah. just the, the side hills they get It's almost on, like they know it. Yeah, they do, you know? don't they? Probably because everything's trying to kill them in the desert. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Everything's looking to eat them. Everything. I watched a mountain lion kill a coos two years ago out you there. You did, really? Yeah, yeah it glassed up a mountain lion. I didn't watch him kill the deer, but he was dra- had it by the neck, and he was dragging it across the hillside or actually carrying it half dragging it and i watched him go 500 yards with this deer and he'd stop like there it was like 75 degrees and in the shade of this brush he'd stop in the shade and take a rest and kind of pant like a cat and then he'd pick it up and then he'd go again that is wild can you even imagine how hard it would be to kill a coos deer as a mount- i mean i'm sure it's not that hard for them but like as a human being thinking about <laughs> That, that a cat can get within striking distance to jump on the back of a coos deer and bite it in the, you know. If I had to kill a coos with my teeth, I would starve to death. There is no doubt in my mind. A hundred percent. I mean, yeah. we're hunting with modern day compounds and optics and everything. And we're still 10 days I can't get it done. <laughs> yeah, totally. We were just talking too about the mule deer down there. I mean, no mule deer is easy to kill with a bow, obviously. But uh, 
the mule deer do seem to be a little. They're they're an easier species to hunt with a bow. Yep, absolutely. They're not easy. No, nope. they're easier yep. than the coos deer. And in that regard, I love hunting mule deer. But in that regard, it is enjoyable to have something that you know you can probably get to 50 yards on. Mm -hmm. I mean, we like being successful. Mm -hmm. I, that's I, I think next year I'm probably going to devote my. The cool thing about where we found the mule deer is there's also coos deer there. Mm -hmm. So we always had the off chance of killing a coos deer. In fact. Both days I hunted mule deer this year, I had coos deer come by that just didn't give me shots. You know, I didn't oh, get wow. an opportunity. But So there was, there's less out there in those flats, but there's still coos deer. So I do like that area where I can go and just focus on the mule deer. And then by off chance, if coos comes by, I'll be hap happy to take it. And if not... And Such a great opportunity, the over-the-counter down there. And then I, I struggle with where to put my effort because now I really like the mule deer. want to focus yeah. more of my energy. Yeah. But that coos is action and really fun too. Yeah. But it's nice that you can do both down there. But I'm with you. I'm yeah. going to spend more days hunting mule deer, yeah. uh, uh, more days trying to find the right terrain with mule deer in it. But they grow some big bucks down there. They do. And, and, and it's nice and mule deer... They're easier to keep track of, too. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's no accident that the coos was nicknamed the gray ghost. Those things just disappear yeah. into thin air. Yeah. You, you take your eyes off them you and they're You can darn gone. near step. I mean, they're so small. You can dip. In that tall grass, that tall yellow grass, they lay down. You are not spotting them bedded. Oh, David. I, so we spotted this buck. And the best scenario for a coos deer, and I'm, I'm probably telling you something you already know, but is when he, he, uh, he gets a doe and he wants to breed her and the doe lays down and the buck just stands there yep. right above her. And maybe he's guarding against other bucks. Maybe he's keeping an eye on her, but it's the best opportunity yeah. to kill a coos buck. Yeah. We caught that, my buddy Dan and I. And so I really wanted Dan to kill one. He was a nice three on top, about a 100-inch buck, yeah. and he was just standing there. The problem is we didn't see the doe. He was just uh. standing there. And so, you know, we didn't put two and two together till afterwards, but he's just standing there. Let's make a move. He's close. He's right on this deal. So exactly that country I'm telling you about, we got across from him 50 yards. We snuck up really slow, glassing the whole time. And so we're there at 50 yards and we're just sitting there and we're like, man, he's got to be here. But I can see everything. And there isn't that much brush. There's not that much cover. I can see it all, you know? And yeah. So then instantly, you know, 15 minutes of sitting there waiting for something to move or happen, and, and you're kind of thinking, oh, you had to go over the top of that ridge, you know? Yeah. We got we got to keep going and go look for him. And so yeah. I pick up a rock, and I look at my buddy Dan, kind of give him a head shake, and he gives me a nod, and I huck that rock, and that buck and doe exploded 50 yards away from us. He was laying there the whole dang time. Oh, it God. just killed me. <laughs> it's like the worst mistake. But, uh, yeah, it's just the nature of the beast. But like you say, Hey, those things lay down they disappear i'm sure there's a great coos hunters out there that are good at spotting them laying down um the only ones i seem to spot laying down i mean obviously there's spots that they lay down where they just something sticks out but generally speaking when they lay down it's game over spotting them unless it's like they're in the shade and there's like the skyline and stuff like that but most of the bucks we spot i mean when they if they seem to what from what we found daylight doesn't i don't we see deer at daylight, but the, with coos deer, they're really hard to see right they at daylight. They move after the sun comes yeah, up. Yeah, it's about 8.30. Yeah. 8.30. Even to, 9, 10. Yep. yep. All the way till about, it seems like they head over into the north brushy slopes at about 10.30. Yeah, uh, exactly what I find. And then too. at about 1.30, mm -hmm. some, they come back up, they feed a little bit, then they go back down. So I, I actually, next time I go, I might not even go out at daylight mm -hmm. just to get more rest and go back out, you know, I can't think of one buck that we couldn't have spotted the same buck at 8 o'clock or 8.30 or 9 or 10 or whatever. Mm -hmm. And some of our best hunting has been that mid-afternoon. That mid-afternoon, they just seem to move again. 
-hmm. But it's funny, when it goes still for the two hours in the day that it seems to go still, it's dead. And you can't find, I mean, you'll see some does, but the, this it's is dead. dead. <laughs> you're like, there's no deer. The, there's 40 deer in this basin. There's no deer in the basin. Where'd they go? And then they stand up. You're like, oh, they're still here. That's crazy, <laughs> isn't it? Those yeah. things just disappear. They yeah. are the gray ghosts. But to your point, the mule deer just tend to be easier, easier to relocate. Yep. The first buck I stalked this year, we spotted him at daylight, but in those flats, Unless you have a super high point, it's really hard to keep track of them. They'll chase the doe off and just go over a little thing, and then you got to figure out where the a high point is where you can see into that base, and that's going to take you time to re Anyways, this buck went over this little knob, and it took a few hours to figure out how to get over there and get, get a vantage point. <clears throat> By the time I got over there, it was actually midday, and I jumped the darn thing. He had he'd only moved 300 yards, but he didn't move the direction. He must have chased the doe over the knoll, but then turned around and came almost back where I first spotted him. I jumped him at like 30 yards. It was really frustrating. Anyways, he runs, you know, probably a half mile over the hill. And But in that country, it's like, crap, I'm never going to see that thing again. But for some reason, they're just easier to relocate. I went over there, spent a half hour. It's like, oh, shoot, he laid right out in the open again. There he is. And I spent the rest of the day stalking him again. But a coos, if you spook them, it, like with the wind, like if you jump a coos buck, from what I've seen, they are gone. You never see them again. They are gone. Disappear into thin air, <laughs> yeah. too. They, like you think you'd see them run up the far hill. A yeah. lot of times you just don't. They just disappear. No. Then they don't come back for a couple days, if ever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, you get one chance at a <laughs> yeah. buck. If you spook him, he's out of there, yeah. it seems like. Yeah, and it, we, it seemed like we have a couple uh, big bucks that Lampers and I have seen the last two years, and these, these bucks make about three-day loops. Mm -hmm. we'll, get th we'll see them, and then they're gone for like two or three days. And they don't, I don't think they actually leave the area, but they're just maybe just out of sight. Or, I don't know. It's bizarre. But then it's like, well, there he is again. Well, where the hell has he been for the last three days? Mm -hmm. We have three people with high-powered optics looking for this thing. We can't find the damn thing. Maybe he just lays down. I don't know. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? It's tough to make sense of. But, but uh, I do think they're harder than Axis deer to stalk. They are. Yep. Which is um, a big statement. One of the toughest pound-for-pound pound animals. Probably the toughest I've ever hunted. Yeah. 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 Uh, I can't wait to go back, though. It's addicting. Oh, it's so addicting. It comes at a great time of the year, too. Yeah. January is such a great time of the year for me. And then it's like the last hunt of the year, too. And then go soak in some of that sunshine. Boy, 75 degrees feels nice. Oh, there were some nice naps taken by this guy. <laughs> right out Pro in the naps, sun. Oh, huh? yeah. yeah. I'm like, well, the deer are probably moving, but I'm mm -hmm. just going to take a nice nap. I'm, I live in Oregon now where mm -hmm. it rains yeah. most of the half of the year. So, yeah. like, sunshine? I had to, like, cover my eyes when I first saw it. Yeah, you moved back home to Oregon. I did. Um, yeah, things are good back there. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I had a great season out there. And, um, you know, Oregon, not super stoked with our wildlife management practices out there. You know, it could yep. be such a better state. Yep. It, it used to be fantastic. It's so diverse. You know, within three hours of me, I have, you know, coastal Roosevelt's. And, you know, I have mule deer. I have Rocky Mountains. I have Cascade Roosevelt's. We have blacktail deer you know it's it's we have great salmon and steelhead streams it's just not what it was when i was a kid man um you can still have great hunting out there and a lot of people do and i we manage but i like getting out of there 
towards the middle of September and headed back into the Rockies where it's actually still good. <laughs> I, I'm with you. I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, so I grew up like Olympia, Washington yeah. there, yeah. Um, hunting around there. And like you say, there are some opportunities and some guys can do well, but you need that experience to, yeah. to get to be a, a better hunter, and you, it's just tough to get out there. And yeah. so there's some good seasons, the blacktail rut, mm-hmm. and then um, I love steelheading. In fact, I'm leaving Tuesday to go to the OP for 10 days and go wow. fish out there at the Spay Rods. I wow. love that country. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a, a coastal rainforest and yeah. glacial-fed wow. teal blue rivers and then just the hardest fighting fish on the planet. Yeah. You know? So super stoked for that. So it is pretty country and a pretty place to live, but I'm with you. Uh, my, my heart's in the Rockies. Yeah. It's just different, you know. Yeah. Um, I love hunting Roosevelt. I do. Uh, but it's it's the Roosevelt. I don't have you hunted Roosevelt. Yeah, yeah you, I'm not very good at it, but yeah. <laughs> well, I can't say that I am either. I usually get one. It's usually pretty small, and then I go to the Rockies. Mm-hmm. I just I'm not super. I use my Oregon tag as my meat tag, so mm-hmm. it's like, I I, I I weekend hunt, I I evening hunt. I save my time to go to the Rockies. So, um, like this year, I happily shot a spike my last day, threw it in the freezer, and headed out to Idaho for my real. You know what I mean? So, but there's big Roosevelt, but there's so there's so. Um, affected by conditions and the conditions are so variable at least where i hunt them right on the ocean a lot of fog a lot of rain a lot of swirly winds the elk are very sensitive to when they talk and when they don't talk um in fact if the weather's bad you just go home and uh, a lot of people think it gets better when it rains out there talking does not get better when it rains out there where i am uh if you're hunting clear-cutted areas uh, they go out there in the rain that's good you spot stock and kill them but if you're trying to call them which i enjoy the most better if it's if it's cool and clear just like anywhere else but you're only going to get several of those days on the coast in oregon because it's usually not clear (laughs) so the rest of the time you're dealing with really swirly variable conditions and pretty quiet elk Mm -hmm. so it's nice to get in the rockies where you wake up and there's frost and the bulls are bugling it's just it's it's really nice and refreshing so that's my my that's what i do roosevelt's are tough um but I think you've done uh, really well. They're tough animals to harvest. Yeah. And, and, again, it's that tough terrain. It's yeah. that coastal rainforest yeah. trying to hunt it 100 yards at a time. And yeah. Sometimes you catch them in those clear cuts. But those elk, they like the they like the cover over yeah. there. You yeah. know? And well, so. Corey and Donnie, this will be their third year coming back next year, and they haven't killed one yet. And it's it's tough. It's a challenge. It's tough. Yep. But I love it. They're beautiful. Mm-hmm. I I dream of the day I can I – can, um, some of those bulls are so pretty those big crowned big bl- black and white you know they have like a redder antler yeah. to them don't they they're just yeah. a different well if they're elk. in the alders they get the red okay. if they're around this the 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 fur and the spruce they get the darker oh okay. so, so if it's both they're in both but. okay yeah uh, but they're beautiful my area yeah i'd see a lot of the red horn mm-hmm. ones so yeah. there's a lot of alders there yep yeah yeah no i love that but man you can't beat the rockies i went out to idaho this year um i this is the first year i haven't hunted montana in a long time but uh, Idaho offers some good hunting. I love Idaho. Yeah, I, I, brought, I brought home a good bull from Idaho this year. Yeah, yeah, uh, my I first one from Idaho. Really? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I haven't really uh, hunted Idaho a whole lot. I've hunted mule deer there quite okay, a bit. Okay. Yeah. Um. But yeah, this year uh, went down there with an elk tag and yeah, able to bring a good bull home. I think Idaho's one of my favorite states. It's mine too. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I've been missing the boat there for sure. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of people, but there just seems to be a lot of elk. Yeah. And you can. But it's just it's just rugged enough to where if you work hard, you know, you can get away from the people and get earn an some, opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Well, cool. Uh, so, so Oregon life's good, man. Your music is doing good. You just released a new album, huh? Uh, like in springtime, last spring. Uh, so I've re- released some singles and stuff. I'm releasing an album this spring. This spring, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I released my album uh, about a year and a half ago, Made okay. Out West. Yeah, yeah, man. I, I uh, it's going great. My, I, I write and record music. It's a passion project of mine. It's not a full time job for mine. I pay my bills in other ways, so it allows me to really keep it special and enjoyable and i play shows i want to play um and i'm happy happy doing it. i'm gonna do it hopefully the rest of my life i want to have a whole stack of albums by the time i get done with this deal i can see your love and passion and see you light up when you when you start talking about it when you're doing it and where you really shine the most is your live performances. It is so fun to listen to you live. And I think it's just I can appreciate it more, you know, because I I can watch you and and hear it live like that. Uh, I I mean, I love the recorded stuff, but watching you live is a real treat. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, I'm I'm very fortunate because I I have something, uh, a platform I can share my creative. I'm a creative person. Uh, I can share my creative, you know, whatever you want to call it, in a community that I love and hunting's my life. So the fact that I've been able to connect those two together is just, it, it's a, it's cliche, it, is, it's dream, it literally is a dream come true. Um, and the, I write songs that the people in the music industry would, you know, they'd say That's not, that, that can't be on the radio, which isn't why I write it. So I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. I write very, very personal and specific songs and honest songs about my life and our life. And uh, it's funny. I released a song called Altitude. I um, love that song. Yeah, yeah here. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Six months. It's just, actually, I released it in Elk Season, so September. Okay. I heard it at the summit for the first time. It's yes. amazing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Um, that was the first time I'd ever performed it live. Man, uh, it really connects with us. Like yeah. uh, you, you say it's so personal to you, but when I hear it, uh, uh, it's personal to me as well. The, and and that's what I mean. Because uh, I feel like when artists are honest about and personal, what they don't realize is it's personal to everybody. If you're truly honest, there's there's many people that share the same thoughts and, and connections that you do. So if you really, really tap into that, it should connect to a lot of people because we're all humans and we're all, especially the people in this building, we all love being in the mountains. We all do it because we need an escape from the the the, the craziness of our life. We all it's, it's, it's hard for everybody to leave their family, mm-hmm. which I'm talking about the song. The, the song specifically about, you know, I, I love doing this. I have to do this. I have to be in this space. I got to do it to get away. But it's also really hard on my family. And because of that, it's like this battle that you're constantly fighting. It's like, man, I want to leave for 10 days right now. But, God, I'm leaving my three kids and my wife behind. Mm-hmm. And. They, they let, allow me to do it, but it's all this constant battle. So that's what that song's about, and it connected to a lot of people. But it's funny because that song's what they would call in the music industry a really niche song, like really specific to like even mountain hunting, which mm-hmm. is a pretty small segment of humans. But it's my family. This is my family here. This is all my mm-hmm. friends. Mm-hmm. And because of that, it's, it, the song did better than any other song I've recorded, mm-hmm. which is a really, was a really good lesson for me. It was like... And, and comforting to know that I can write really honestly like that mm-hmm. in a way that's not, I'm not trying to be on the radio. Mm-hmm. I just want people to, I want the people that I love and the community that I love to relate and love it. Mm-hmm. Because 
that's why I started doing it, and that's why I'm going to continue to do it. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to do any of that other well, stuff. I think if you were trying to be on the radio or trying to be a hit or trying to be a star, you'd lose that authenticity, yeah. and it almost turned to, to cheesy to where when yeah. I hear you play your music or I hear it, I can tell it, it, it means something yeah. to you, you know? It connects with you, you yeah. know? Uh, it, it really comes across well. I just had this idea as we're recording, uh, uh, I th you think I could get that song yeah. and then play it at the end of the podcast? You play here? it whenever you want. Oh, that'd be yeah. awesome, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'll get it from you, and then we'll play it at the end of the podcast because it's such an awesome song, Thank and you. I want our audience to I hear just, it. I just, I just went and recorded a couple more here a few weeks ago in Nashville, and I recorded a, another song that's almost like a... Uh, it's almost like a more upbeat version of the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, it's a totally different song, but same subject matter. And it's just about how some of us are kind of wired to always need adventure. Like I have to have something to look forward to. I have to have an adventure to look forward to. If I don't, I feel really depressed. So it's, and, but some people don't need that. They want like uh, conform, secure, like I don't need it. I, I do A, B, C, D, E, F, G every day. I can't do that, dude. Nope. And you can't either. Nope. You need to know you're going steelhead fishing next week. Mm -hmm. I need to know, like, I'm already got my year pretty well planned out. And that's where my, I mean, obviously I focus on being present, but my mind's already like, I can't wait to smell the pines and the frost and hear a bull bugle. I can't wait to, like, get my hands on those cold antlers. And, like, I have to have that in the back of my mind. But this next song I wrote, it's more expanding on the idea of altitude, but more about how there's just some people that are always wired to want to see what's on the other side, to want to feel like they're exploring new territory, to want to feel like they're expanding their horizons. Like a hunter, the hunters I know, like you are a perfect example. You never want to hunt the same dang canyon every single year. You want to be adventuring. You want to, I wonder what's over there. I wonder what bucks in that basin. I wonder what bucks in that state, you know? So that's what this next song's about. And I hope people, it's really upbeat. It's really rocky. Like it's, it's, Oh, that's cool. It, so um, I told them to go crazy on it, so I'm pretty proud of it. And I recorded another song about, that I released on Father's Day, which about being a dad, which I always do. I write a lot of songs about parenting. So mm -hmm. um, We're explorers by nature. We love to go to new places. We, what is we, that, though? Uh, uh, it, it's built into our DNA. It's, it's part of the reason why you know, we, we didn't, just didn't stay in Africa when we were there. We had to explore and find greener pastures. But I, I think we just like to see new things and experience new things. And yeah, um, if I go to a place that I've been two or three times, it doesn't have the feeling of the first time I see it. It becomes it. too comfortable almost. Yes, it does. Well, that's a good point as well. Like yeah. we like to be outside our comfort yeah. level. Yeah. 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 Right? You were like, I wonder if I could hike to that next one. Mm -hmm. Even though you know, like statistically, it might not be any different. The elk are going to still be yellow with brown, brown necks and, you know, whatever in the next one. But it doesn't matter. You're like, but there could be something cool. That's what it is. <laughs> the could be. <laughs> That's totally it, man. Yeah. 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 It's the could be. I'm always looking for that epic hunting. And it's always over the next ridge and might not be that spot, but eventually I'm going to find it. That's a know? really good thing. Uh, word, though, that you use, explore. That's. That's really what it is, and that's what this next song is about. It's, it's like have, just having that itch to always constantly need to be exploring. Not everybody's like that, but I know a lot of people in this room are like that. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's hard, and it, uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing, but it's also a weird thing because you, and it never, you can never, like, stop. <laughs> yeah. You always got to be planning. Yeah, always. Yeah, I can't stop. No. My, my wife had to get used to that, you know, because when we first met, I wasn't um, in the industry yet, and... 
I hunted a lot, but most of it happened between, you know, in Oregon, you know, you have your September and then you have your October gun season. And then, you know, you may go on a wild hog hunt in the spring or something. But for the most part, my, my season was September was, I told her when we first started dating, I'm not around. So if you don't like that, I totally appreciate I, I couldn't hold down a girl. She stayed. <laughs> we're married. Story over. But now. Same. Yeah. <laughs> but now, uh, for those who don't know, I was at Sitka Gear. I worked at Sitka Gear for 11 years. So when I started working at Sitka uh, and my life became more all about the hunting industry and, you know, your hunting season just every year, it like expands. And then you're, next thing you know, you're, you know, you're going to Hawaii or New Zealand and then you got bear and then you got this and you got that. And then pretty soon it's all year. So now my wife's like, it's always hunting season. <laughs> that's, no, that's you told wife. me September, but now it's, but we, I'm we like, we move the goal line <laughs> on them, don't we? <laughs> and now there's this Arizona thing I'm addicted to, yeah. which is, so pretty much there's no time off. No, I know. It's a, uh, it, it's an addiction, uh, but living an adventurous lifestyle and going to these different places yeah. and experiencing it, experiencing it, it, it's like what we really love. Like uh, putting ourselves in these remote habitats, whether it's mountains or whether it's deserts, it, it just connects with me, you know, like a city doesn't connect with me. No. I don't need to visit a city and museums or that isn't my deal. I want to go to these places and see the most remote country I can. Yeah. And that's where I find yeah. the beauty in it. And uh, I, I mean, it's what truly makes me happy looking forward to it. Like you mentioned yeah. it, doing it and being present in the moment and yeah. enjoying it. Yeah. And then looking back on it. You yeah. Know? Being present's hard. Oh, being present is so hard. Dude, you do such a good job on your social media being really honest with people and and you wouldn't believe how many of us connect with it you've talked a lot about depression yeah. and things i battled depression my whole life like i don't really? seem like it yeah really? absolutely my mom uh my mom committed suicide from depression yep oh, and so like geez. um you know i have battled it throughout my life i know those genes yeah. are in my body and mm. and now i've kind of learned myself and i've got better at handling it in kind of the same journey that you've been on yeah. and kind of the same timeline too really? um i, I battle with a lot of stress through work and uh -huh. take a lot of weight on my shoulders anxiety. a lot of anxiety yep i'm constantly worrying about things in worst case scenario and i've been able to really calm my mind a lot lately but for How'd you, you to it? for you um so I think um, I think letting things go a little bit more, um, knowing myself more. Like I know in the evenings my mind will get a little dark, and that's not my time to solve problems or to stress over things. I know that if I can go to sleep and think about it in the morning, I'll come up with my solution. So when problems come my way, it, it's just almost like a mindset of, as I'm going to handle it as it comes, and I'm going to handle it the best way I can, and then I'm going to let the cards fall where they do. I'm not going to stress over worst-case scenario or what if I do this or what if he says this or what if, you know, a lot of that stuff never comes to light. And so I just end up, like, causing myself uh, a, a lot of anxiety in my own head, stressing over it. So, like, it, like it's almost just a mindset and being aware of it. Um, also for me, where my worst state of depression uh, was when I was working too much. So in the construction field, it's a big move for me and my family to build a house, but I build it all evenings and weekends with sweat equity. Oh, geez. And so I'm working a 40-hour job. I'm writing. I'm trying to do all these things in the hunting community, and then I'm building a house in all my evenings and weekends. Now, I deal with a lot of the same stress as you do. My family is absolutely number one to me. I'm raising two girls. We're 16 and 12, and my wife. And um, so, you know, I'll, I'll be at work and I'm also wondering if I'm being a good dad, if I'm yeah. doing a much to the, uh, as much as I can for those girls. And it, it's great. My wife is great. They, 
she brings the girls out. They'd bring me dinner. They'd work along with me. We'd set tile. But, I mean, I'd take on these houses, and I'd just do everything. Electrical, plumbing, framing, concrete, uh, cabinets, wood floor, everything myself. And it's it's been able to get me ahead in life. But that last house, working 100-hour weeks for a year straight, I lost my drive for happiness. All of a sudden, fishing didn't sound like fun. Hunting didn't sound mm-hmm. like fun. It, I was in this bigger pursu- uh, uh, pursuit of, of building this house and this bigger purpose, but all of a sudden, I lost what, what makes me happy and what makes me. And so I moved into my house, and I thought, okay, I'm done. A year of my life I've given up. I'm in this house. I can finally recover and be happy again. And I got in the house, and I was depressed for three, four months like probably the worst I've ever been. Mm. I, I just burned myself out and it took me getting back to who I was, you know, and, and a lot of that too, just trying to be present. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess, does that make any sense? Yeah, I 100%. Yeah. yeah, but no, I just love how you brought that dude, to light and, to, to and the rest of well, people. I appreciate that and let's talk about that because what you just described is literally me. Is it really? Yeah, and, and I'm not a doctor, but I think what what you're describing is it's called general anxiety disorder it's when you and everybody's scared of talking about all this stuff i'm not me too i've never mentioned that on the podcast ever yeah well i appreciate that thank you and people will appreciate that i i know from personal experience how many people in this industry are effed up we everybody hides it i got dms from people that are in this industry that are looked up to upon thousands and thousands and thousands of people that they i had a couple different individuals tell me that they were contemplating suicide and these people like if if anybody knew who these people were they would they would they'd be like what the f is going on like that guy that gal my point being thank you for saying it um and number two generally so i my the issue that i have which is similar to yours is uh it, my mind wanders to worst case scenario on any when i get and stress increases it it's when you're it's when you're um uh, what's the stress chemical? I'm brain dead today. Uh, Me too. I stayed up too late playing cortisol. Oh, yeah, when your cortisol yep. level goes up, you start thinking about y- y- uh, all of your worst fear anxieties come up, and you 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 can't stop thinking about the worst possible case scenarios of those things. 99% of the time, of which never come true, but you burn a bunch of energy worrying about it. And you spin on it. You're just in this dark spinning place. And what happens with me because of that, I'm not, I'm a very happy person, very upbeat, very uh, uh, optimistic. Me over, too. Actually, overly optimistic, me too. my wife would say. Yep. So it's really weird because mm-hmm. in my mind, if I don't really consciously work on it, I'm in a really negative, dark space. And what happens is I just get frustrated with that because I'm like, man, like I live a great life. You live a great life. Most of us live a great life comparatively speaking to the in, from a world view so it's really frustrating when you have these st- stupid thoughts and that's what depresses me more than anything and uh when i was at my worst about a year and a half ago i was just tired of feeling that way i'm like this is i was also um making a lot of big changes in my life which my stress levels were through the roof just like you it was situational like i i left my career at sitka gear i Left Bozeman, Montana, which I love. <laughs> did not want to leave Bozeman, Montana. Did it to get closer to our family in Oregon, which I did want to do. But no matter how much you do want to do something, you still, it hurts leaving behind a life that was almost like uh, so much of my identity that was, it was probably a little bit overboard, actually. Um, the, the, you know, being, being a huge part of Sitka 
and Bozeman and the whole community, all my friends are there. I unplugged from all of that. I made uh, you know, uh, probably 50% less money for over a year. I downsized our house. I moved my kids out of their schools. I mean, that's a big deal. Huge deal. Uh, I'm 38, you know, so it's a big uh, sort of midlife unplug, replug thing. And that's not easy for anybody. Mm -hmm. And so what happens, since I already struggle a little bit with the anxiety side, it just multiplied it by 10. And then, it, and then I got really frustrated, and, and, and the frustration was more of what depressed me because I was just tired of these uncontrollable thoughts. But through a process of hard work, and thanks to my wife and some other people, I've worked through it enough to where I, I still struggle with it, but I have it under pretty good, I know I know the triggers and I know how to sort of uh, work through it. You can see it coming. Yeah, yeah. and, and, and um, I just consciously work on several different things, which we can talk about if you want. If not, no, no big deal. But by I decided to talk about it um, whenever it was, you know, I don't know, uh, six, seven, eight months ago. Because um, on the side, people would pull me aside, like close, pe close friends, because they knew that I'd gone on medication. I was really struggling. And they're like, hey, just want to let you know, man, I struggle with the same thing. What kind of medication are you on? Like, who'd you talk to? All this stuff. I'm like, it happened four or five times. I'm like, there's a lot of people. Like, there's a lot of people out there that need to hear this. I'm not scared. I'm not really worried about what people. I'm a musician. You can't be worried about what people think about you if you're a musician or a podcast. And you can't be worrying about failure if you're a bow hunter. Yep. So, <laughs> I'm like, I'll talk about it. I don't care. So I post. I did a post, and it was unbelievable. I did not expect. I expected to be getting texts from my buddies, you pussy, you know, you, <laughs> you, what the hell are you talking about, dude? Mm -hmm. Shut up. Quit trying to get attention. Quit trying to get likes. Quit trying to get whatever. Not at all why I did it. I did it be, and, and what, because I wanted people to know that they're not alone, and I have a, a platform to speak. And it, still, even walking through the hallways today, people mention it. I haven't talked about it in months mm -hmm. on my Instagram. I, I made uh, six or seven posts. Very strategic. I talked about the four or five things I did to help, like, you know, diet, exercise, medication, all that stuff. But then I'm, I told my wife, you know, I'm, I'm going to lay off. That's all I'm going to say for now until I have something to, to really say about it again. But still, to this day, multiple times since I've been at the show, people bring it up. It really affected people. And we all post stuff every day. People like it. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't really – people aren't listening. And, like, it's just, it's just like it's hunting stuff. People love it. But it's not the same. It's amazing when something actually sticks and resonates and is human and real. And uh, I actually think I'm going to start talking about it more again because I think I can help people more um, because I still struggle with it. I still have highs and lows. Uh, just the other day, I told my wife, I'm like, I feel like shit today. I do not feel good. I worked out. I did all my things. I'm eating right. I, I feel depressed. Mm -hmm. So I went and read a book for like three hours. I just needed some time. Felt good again. So it's not like I figured out this silver bullet, but what I did figure out is, is just the fact of like knowing that just about everybody in this building has some sort so form. It's almost like target panic. Mm -hmm. It's very similar to target panic. So everybody thinks they don't have target panic. Most people have target mm -hmm. panic because it's the way your brain works, you know? And uh, I almost went through the same thing with target panic that I did with depression. It was very similar, you know? Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, you try to, I don't have target panic. Well, why can't you get the full draw then? You know? <laughs> uh, so you come out like, screw it. I got target panic. I need some help. Worked with Joel Turner for two years on Shot IQ. Changed my life. I want everybody that has target panic to just admit it 
quit struggling with it and go figure out how to, because there is ways to work. You'll, you'll never cure it because it's the, the way your brain works, but there's ways to, uh, and they're very similar to the strategies that I use to combat depression. And, and most of it is about getting into the present and getting into reality and, uh, and just walking through a process very, very carefully and very disciplined to get you through the shot or to get you through life. My, and, you know, things like every, I work out every day. Mm -hmm. I try to eat healthy. Every, it's like a process. I focus yep. more on the process and not worrying about the outcome. It's like I know that if I do these three to four to five things every day, it adds up. And generally speaking on the spectrum, I'm going to have mostly good days, mm -hmm. you know. And same with shooting. So I, I actually found a lot of parallels there, mm -hmm. which I thought was pretty interesting. I've never compared the two. I haven't yeah, either. But yeah, that's great. Uh, they're very similar. Yeah. No, I'm with you. That's uh, uh, and, and my my wife is great and super supportive. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just the same thing. You know, she said, "Have you ran today?" You know, it's like every. That's my form of meditation. And boy, that really helps too. Like Running you say, is the working best. out the best. I, I don't li lifting weights doesn't really do it for me. No, run. I got to get that that running running high. Yeah. You know. That actually is probably the number one thing. Me too. Yep. yep. Uh, eating healthy and staying healthy. Uh, it's, oh, the two things I would say. Running and I have to get sleep. Yes. If I don't get sleep, my anxiety is through the roof. Mm -hmm. Like this, like actually last two nights here. Yeah, I've me too. Sleep. <laughs> so I wake up and I feel anxious. Like what am I not doing? What's yeah. going wrong? You I'm know, not running. My I'm family not getting okay, enough sleep. You know? yeah. And I'm like, oh, well, crap. I'm getting here it is four again. hours of sleep. Yeah. I can't do that. I mm -hmm. gotta. I have to have my sleep, and mm -hmm. God bless people that can run on no sleep. I wish I was like that. Mm -hmm. I can't. My just the way my brain, my chemicals are formatted. I have mm -hmm. to get rest. If I run and get sleep, I stay pretty good. Mm -hmm. Is that how you feel? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, gosh, I mean, you may not admit it, but it was really brave to put yourself out there like that. Um, you know, I, we all. I, I worry. You know, I worry putting myself out there on a lot of things, on the podcast or social yeah. media, and to, to talk about something that's so personal. And, and then, you know, to, to, to put it out there. And it's wild, like, the, the more honest you are with this, yourself and your audience or the more that you let on who you really are, this authenticity, the more people connect. You think you're, I think I'm the only one. I think I'm the only one that pals. And then you say something. And like you say, people are sending you direct messages, yeah. connecting with you in the halls, mm -hmm. talking to you about what you did. It opens the conversation. I tell you, like, your seven posts helped me out. Oh, like, like help me realize, like, gosh, David, like, he's, he's struggling with the same thing yeah. I am. I'm not the only one. There's very successful yeah. people out there that, that, you know, minds are busy and that, you know, it, I have to make a constant effort to be happy. That's that's what yeah. it is. And I'm really good at it now. Like, I know the steps just like you yeah. do. And I keep pretty happy yeah. most of the time. Yeah. I can keep it under control. Yeah. And I can see it kind of coming, a yeah. little anxiety yeah. here and there. Yeah. But I can just, um, I can handle it a little bit better. But I, I just want to tell you, it really helped me. And I think well, it I really helped a lot of people. So I, I just, uh, I wanted to bring it up while I had you on I'm the glad. podcast. I'm glad. I'm, I'm, it makes me so happy. It probably out of the all the things I've ever talked about or post or even done in this industry, including music, it's the most fulfilling thing that, I, that I've had happen to me, actually, is knowing that um, I help people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I got messages from people that were right on the verge of ending their lives. Like Man. one, uh, one uh, on the floor with a gun and I mean, bad stuff. Like man. where I'm like, I'm, Hey man, I'm not a doctor. I, you need to call somebody and get yeah. help. You know, I'm not a doctor. Huh? I don't know. How, I mean, it was, and actually it got a little stressful because I'm not even a professional on the subject. No, that's <laughs> a, that, <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm just saying, Hey, yeah, I've gone through it. It's okay. To go, yeah, yeah. I'm not, 
you need to seek professional advice. That's a lot of weight on your if shoulders. Yeah, yeah. You, my, my, my wife's like, hey, you need to kind of, that's that's too much for you right yep. now. You can't handle that. You can't carry everybody else's weight on your shoulders. Nope. But but at the same time, I did appreciate because maybe I saved somebody's life. Maybe you saved somebody's life by just mentioning it on the podcast. You don't know. Mm-hmm. You don't know what people are going through. And that's what we're all here for is to help each mm-hmm. other. And the hunting's great. We all love it. But at the end of the day, uh, in order to have a healthy uh, life in outdoors, you got to have a healthy life. We all focus so much time on physical health in this industry. There's a lot of muscles in this building. No one ever talks about mental health. Mm-mm. Because mental health, just saying mental health, people think of like crazy people. Yep. But mental health, that those those two words together means nothing different than physical health. It's like making sure that your brain's healthy because your brain is connected to the rest of your body. I'm reading a book right now. I, I actually can't remember what it's called because I just started reading it. But it talks all about how your brain and your 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 your, your the, the everything's connected basically. So if you're if you're really stressed out and your cortisol levels are through the roof and all this stuff, it connects to your heart rate and your heart's connected to everything and your blood and all this stuff. And people always think, well if, as long as I'm not fat and, you know, I'm, I'm lifting weights and stuff. I'm good. I'm like, I'm healthy. Well, it's like, no, you're not. Mm-mm. No, you're not. You're still at risk for so many things just because your, your brain is a mess. And most of us are on smartphones every day at these shows, talking to people, trying to live up to other people's expectations. All of the, the, the sucky and, like, but real things we all deal with in the culture, it's really stressful. Mm-hmm. And we're not wired for it. We've been evolving for thousands of years to live outside and like hunt mm-hmm. and gather and take care of our young and our and build shelters and stuff. Only over the last really 20 years is like this whole social media thing and so much pressure to get back to people within, you know, a minute. Like if I get a text, you know, it's just like, ah, it's too yeah. much. And I think it just overloads our brains and most of our brains in this building are not healthy. They're not healthy. Mm-hmm. So. Finding, I'm, I'm still, I'm going to be seeking it my whole life. I want to find ways to like, to be like the six pack. My, I want my brain to be like a six pack. I want it to be super strong and super healthy. Mm-hmm. I don't know those answers right now. But well, and that stress affects the physical health, the immune 100%. system, how you feel, mm-hmm. energy levels. It affects so much. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you can have the biggest muscles in the world, but if you don't have your head right, you don't have anything. And same no. thing in hunting. Like how yeah. much of it is just mind power, you know? A lot. My, yeah, a ton. I um, noticed that on, uh, you're a great mule deer hunter. I admire you a lot because being a great mule deer hunter is, I believe one of the tougher with a bow is one of the tough, even oh, with a gun. Thank you. Um, but when I was stalking that buck I was telling you about down in Arizona, I got to that 50-yard mark, and I got to think, <laughs> you know, because you're kind of bored. You're like, you know when you're like bored on a stalk, you're waiting for something to happen. You're like looking at ants, mm-hmm. and you're like playing with twigs. Mm-hmm. I was sitting there thinking like the last 2 to 3% of the stalk is the hardest part. Finding them's hard, getting in there, getting the wind right, all that stuff's hard. But the last part where you got to get – from 50 let's just say for me i want to try to get to 40 or 35 and you got to stay patient enough not to get in a hurry like you're moving slower than you've moved the last but you're so close you just want to get in there and get the shot because you're going to get the shot but you got to even pull back even more and slow down and follow a very conscious present process and i got to thinking that takes a lot of brain power not just to and you can't get lazy either when your movements if you're if you're you know, your, your knee drops and hits a rock or you drop your bow tip, you know, little stuff like that screws up the last six hours in like an instance. Mm-hmm. So I got to thinking really good mule deer hunters and really good stalkers are very mentally strong and tough. You're thirsty, you're hungry, you want to, you're always in an uncomfortable position. It's not easy to pull it through. 
-hmm. With the elk, obviously it's hard to make the shot and all that stuff, but it, it's, most of the time it happens pretty, like, it's just different. Like, mm -hmm. the mule deer game, because it's usually an all-day endeavor, it's a real mental battle, and if you're not mentally strong, you're not going to pull off the last 10% of the stock. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with that? Absolutely, yeah. That. Well, and, and trying to, it seems like uh, patience is so tough in those final Maybe moments. Maybe that's the right word I'm looking for. It's the patience. But that takes mental So much mental I know strength. when I get in there, I'm like, because I want Like, you've worked so hard all year, and, you've, and you can see the antler tips and the sagebrush. And you're like, I, he's, I, I'm going to get him up. I'm getting a rock. No, don't get him up. Just Go let him stand. Yeah. Let him st I'm getting a rock. It'll probably work. No, don't get a rock. <laughs> it's, it's like having the ability to be strong and be like, nope, I'm going to sit here all day. Mm -hmm. I'm thirsty. I'm hot. I'm uncomfortable. But I'm just going to get through it as opposed to screw it i'm throwing a rock my knee hurts yeah and then you screw up the like the you say the last six hours of locating them finding yep. them all that work and effort you put in yeah. you just threw it in the trash in the last two percent of <laughs> yeah. that stock yeah you know because you got in a hurry or because you didn't yep. have the patience and like i was telling my buddy dan when i threw that rock and busted that coos i was so you know i wasn't that upset at myself but i was i was upset that was a major mistake we had yeah. worked so hard for that yeah. and we knew that buck was standing there yeah. we should have waited all evening even if he wasn't there it yep. was worth the small percentage that he was there yeah you know we should have waited and we should have been more patient i've yeah. learned from that um you, you can did you, ever, did you ever throw a rock at a mule deer when you got really impatient? Um, I haven't for probably 12 years. <laughs> <laughs> you learn your lesson pretty quickly. Yeah. It doesn't work very no, well. No, it doesn't. <laughs> no, uh, just be patient and yeah. let things happen. Let those yep. bucks make the last mistake. Yep. Let them step up and walk out. And, and also uh, the element of surprise is, is such a, a key factor. And when we get into those tight positions, so waiting for them to stand and the patience is one thing. But also the patience when that buck gets up and starts looking around. And all of a sudden he's broadside, but he's looking in your direction. Do you come up and try to draw? That's the wrong move, like most of the time. Yeah. Now, sometimes they do see you, and that's your only chance yeah. to try to get a shot. But if you can keep that element of surprise and keep that next-level patience of letting that buck stand up, look in your direction, look in the other direction, and then all of a sudden he goes down and he starts feeding. And now he's broadside feeding, and now you can draw with his head down. Or maybe he stands up and there's a couple does that are staring in your direction, and he's broadside. You could try to draw your bow, but then the whole scenario blows up. But just stay there. Let things happen. Let him make the last mistake. Let him get up and chase one of those does. Let those does stop paying attention. Just staying still, just letting things happen, keeping that element of surprise is so important to killing those things. I actually think if I, could, if, if I could connect one quality to all the best hunters I know, it's patience. Mm -hmm. ha you have to have a high degree of patience. Mm -hmm. I struggle with that. I, I do and I don't. Some days I do and some days I don't. If I'm really, it's been a long week and I'm frustrated, that's when I usually make mistakes because I'm tired and you're hungry. and They, they compound, don't they, yeah. the mistakes? Yep. I'm, I'm getting frustrated that, you know, the zigs and the zags haven't worked out and I'm on the verge of something good happening, and I make a dumb mistake. I make a dumb mistake. Now, that's happening less as I get older. Mm -hmm. I'm getting better at it, but specifically two years ago, I made the biggest mistake of my elk hunting career, and my dad still sends me the video of this oh, no. almost every day. <laughs> oh, no. this, this, was a, this was a dream Roosevelt, about a 337 by six. Oh, wow. My dream bull. That, and for those that don't know, that's a huge Roosevelt. Giant. That's a huge, that's like a, once in a lifetime. That's like a 370-something Rocky Easily. Bull, or yep. Easy. You know, it's a huge bull, and they're hard to find these days. And we'd hunted this bull for a couple years, hadn't killed him. 
It's right when I moved back to Oregon. The first day we go back, he lives in the, Roosevelt's are very, if, if they're not, if their habitat doesn't change, get logged over, they're pretty predictable. They live in the same areas every year. This bull lived in the same, coming in the same clear cut every day. Very predictable bull, very difficult to kill. Long story short, first day we go after him. He's coming, he's right out where he always is. Wind's perfect. I got my brother and my dad with me. It's going to be super special. We go in there, get, uh, and my brother and my dad stay back. I crawl past his cows. He's up the hill. I get to like 100 yards. He's just, this is all in video. It just hurts my heart. <laughs> and uh, he, he walks towards me to like uh, 60, 67 yards. And he gets into a, uh, like a, it's not really a wallow, but it's almost, it's, it was almost, it was a wet spot. And he starts rolling around, just rolling around. His antlers are throwing things in the air. Hey. And uh, uh, mud flying. And his, but his cows are below me. You see that? <laughs> uh, his we just had the Lampers show yeah, up. Yeah, the Lampers just show up. Yeah. Autograph signing session. <laughs> Sorry, That's I'm distracted. It. Sorry, go ahead. I will get back you. to my Roosevelt story yeah. here in a second. Hey, Ryan. What's up, buddy? Uh, his cows. So I'm between the ca his cows and this bull, which is exactly what you want. He has no idea I'm there. The wind's perfect. It's the dream bull, Roosevelt. And he's rolling around, but he's within my range, kind of. 67's about as far as I'll shoot. I'm not a long-range shooting guy. I'm, I, I tried bow hunting for a long time, switched to a compound two years ago. That's about the end of my range that I want to shoot. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, I could be patient, and he's going to walk by me closer. But... As soon as he turns broadside in that wallow, he's in my range right now. I can kill this bull right now. And, I'm, and I start seeing him on my wall and all the bad things <laughs> start <laughs> happening. All the things that make you impatient. And I made a dumb decision. I, I'm like, he started rolling. Um, he kind of got up on his, on his haunches and he was perfectly broadside, 67. And there was a big hole in the, in the grass where he was. I could see all of his ribs. And I'm like, I'm gonna shoot him. I can. I got this. This is not a hard shot. I was actually really calm, and I, I shot a perfect arrow. I, I shot it for six. I'm sorry. I, I thought he was 60. Shot a perfect arrow, and it, and, poing sticks in a stump below him, trots up the hill, out of my life. And he stands there, looks at me, bugles, gathers up his cow, he leaves. I walk up there. I hit my range. I hit the grass. He was 67. <sighs> and I got to look at the situation. I just sat up. You know how sometimes you'll sit there and look at your arrow and just kind of just try to take it in and try to figure out how dumb you are and all the mistakes <laughs> you just made. I know it well. And uh, I got to thinking, you're 36 years old. You've been hunting elk your entire life. You've made all the mistakes in the book. You idiot. Why would you... You're between a herd bull and his cows with the wind perfect. They have no idea you're there. He's like rolling around oblivious. He, he probably, uh, I looked at, he would have probably come by. If he'd have gone a straight line back to his cows, it would have been 25 yards or something. And you take a risk like that. And sometimes it works out. I did it uh, last spring on an axis deer. Same situation, but I waited for a half hour to make the decision, and I made a good decision. I killed it. But on that bull, it was an absolute wrong decision. My dad still sends me the video every couple days and says, remember this? Remember this? Oh, no. Because <laughs> that bull, actually, uh, we never never got him. He's, somebody else must have killed him or something. But So talking about patience, 
that was a huge lesson for me. I still think about that bull all the time. And the, my, the lesson was obviously, gosh darn it, like, be patient. Even if it would have sc screwed the situation up, I probably would regret that less yep. than what I did. Mm -hmm. You know? Just let it happen. Now, sometimes you do need to make quick decisions like mm -hmm. that, and sometimes they work mm -hmm. out. But the odds were in my favor that I would have got a closer shot. Mm -hmm. Even after I missed him, he just stood up and walked up the hill. Oh, man. He wasn't even that scared. Uh, it's, so. uh, you know, failure is a prerequisite, and, and patience is definitely the key to success. But, I mean, I do the same thing. Like, I think I'm patient. I can always improve. I can always get better. Every season I say I need to have more patience. And this year, Montana, case in point, we were filming a public land elk hunt, which is extremely yeah, difficult. Good luck. Um, and I'm looking for a mature six-point bull. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Laughable almost, yeah. right? And so we get to this spot, and it's good elk hunting. And I spot a really good bull. Good for me, like the right around 330, yeah. 320 maybe, but he's got a sticker out his side, dark horns, and he's with these cows. And so we make this play down with the cameraman. He's a new cameraman. He's a kid. He's a go-getter, great attitude. Yeah. But he doesn't have all the camera skills yet. We're still trying to work as a team. This is in our, our first few days of working together. And so, um, anyways, I make a play down on this bull, and I play it perfectly. Just like you say, I crawl up the coulee, don't let anything know I'm there. I get by the trees. Now the cows are feeding towards me. And I've got all these cows in bow range, and I don't see the bull for like 20 minutes, and I'm just waiting. They can't see me. They're just filtering into bow range. Pretty soon, here comes the bull over the hill, you know. And so I look back at the cameraman, and... This bull, he actually doesn't follow the cows. He goes to the right. Now, in hindsight, he was chasing a little raghorn bull oh, out of there, no. and he was going to come back to yeah. the cows that were all 40 yards in front of me. Yeah. But he's like 55, but he's coming where there's kind of brush and uh -huh. things, and my cameraman's kind of down to the side yeah. of me. And so I look right as he comes over the ridge, and I give him the thumbs up, and he gives me the thumbs up back. So this bull's walking to chase up this other bull, and I hit him at about like 50, 55, something like that. It's, it's inside my range that I can make that shot. He's completely broadside. And so I go to draw and go to try to take him. Well, as I draw, the cows see oh, me to my left. No. As I draw, he says, I don't have him. I don't have him. And at that point, we're in it for the film. Like, right. you know, it. Uh, you know, I've killed – I would have loved to have the bull, but to not kill him yeah. on film. Eastman's is trusting me, yeah. you know, to yeah. put money in That's me and a priority. cameraman. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. he said I don't have him. And so then – all the cows are staring at me because I gave myself away yeah. with the draw. I had to let yeah. down, blew up the whole scenario, yeah. this really nice bull yeah. I wanted to kill. And it was all because I didn't have patience. Oh. It would have been way better footage, way better scenario, even if I didn't have my cameraman. Just let, just wait. He's going to come with his cows and give you that 40-yard yeah. broadside, yeah. nothing knows you're yeah. there. Yeah. Per, you know, same thing. It's like more patience. But redemption is a powerful tool <laughs> so three days later four days later i got my opportunity i waited two and a half hours on a bedded bull i had cows bedded at 30 40 yards he was at 50 uh, i waited for him stood up really cool footage came down fed below us finally gave me a broadside shot like inside 40 right there and plugged him in one of my my my, you know, really heavy, gnarly, big six-point, man, so proud. So when you redeem yourself like that, those ones don't hurt so bad. Well, so uh, when I went to Hawaii, the ne you know, six, seven months later after that bull, uh, I, I was on this a huge axis buck. Uh, he was bedded at uh, uh, 57 or something like that. And... It was literally a very similar scenario to the bull that I screwed up on. So I got there, and I could not get any closer. But he was just laying there sound asleep, and we had all afternoon. And it, 
and there was there was only one hole through the brush, and it was halfway to him. It was a really hard shot. So I, I, rem I got to thinking about the bull. I'm like, all right, be patient. Just hang out. The dang thing's not going anywhere. You're in Hawaii. Soak up the sun. Watch them. My buddy was filming. I'm like, I'm not going to shoot. I'm just going to sit here. Be patient. I learned my lesson on that dang Roosevelt. And I sat there for about half hour. I kept ranging it, trying to imagine my arc if I do have to shoot there. Really, really visual. I'm like, all right, if I make that decision again and I fail, it's going to really hurt. But after about 40 minutes, I'm, nothing was happening. And we were kind of down in this hole. I'm like, okay, I think I can make the shot. I'm going to redeem myself from that bull. I've been patient. I've sat here. Most people would have flung an arrow already and just screwed it up. I drilled that thing. Oh, and it felt so, That arrow flew right through that hole <laughs> and just drilled him. It was actually one of the best shots I've ever made in my life on an animal. It was it – was, I, I didn't think I could do it. That is so cool. Congratulations. Yeah. Axis are such a feat. And then redemption. And then it was such a – like a really nice spot. Yeah. And then to make that shot, yeah. that like the same scenario yeah. that you had that you had messed yeah. up. Man, yeah. that's great. That's what bow hunting's all about. Yep, yep, yep. yep. That's, that's exactly right. So – the older you get, the wiser you get. But shoot, my dad's my dad's 65 years old, and he's he's still learning elk. He's been hunting elk his whole life, and every year, it's it's amazing. That that's never going to stop. Just so you know, Brian, we picked a we picked a, 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 an activity that you never really uh, perfect. So congratulations, spot on. Well, dude, you're one of my favorite people to talk to. Thanks, man. I think we did it. I think we laid down another really dude. good podcast. That was a great <laughs> Thank conversation. You, buddy. So I really so appreciate much. it. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Um. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Man, yeah, we went deep on that conversation. Uh, I, I just, uh, I, I always really enjoy talking to David. I said before the podcast that that I thought last year's podcast with him was was one of the better ones that I've ever done. I was just so engaged in it, just such a great back and forth. And the same with this year's to to get talking about truly important stuff about being happy, depression, uh, anxiety. Uh, you know, I think it's something that, that, that we all face and it's important to talk about. And, um, you know, even me myself that I'm, I'm always up, uh, I'm an optimist. Uh, I always think things are going to work out and things are, uh, are going to go my way, but still, um, you know, I still battle with anxiety at times and, um, dealing with it. And, and as I get older, I definitely get better at handling it, but just such an important conversation because, um, I know it's not just me. I know it's not just David, like it's today's day and age, you know, that that's, um, it's a real issue and life is tough. It's tough to make a living. It's tough to support a family. It's tough not to worry about things. Um, but, but anyways, just a real important conversation. I just appreciate David being so honest, so authentic, being himself and um, always putting himself out there. So make sure to check out his new albums on iTunes. Uh, this is one of his new singles, Altitude. We're going to put up right after the podcast. Super pumped at that. Um, I love listening to, to David play live. Uh, it's just so impressive. He's got such a love for it. Um, so yeah, just excited. You know, I'm... Um, I'm proud and excited to call David one of my friends. I really want to put a hunt together with him and, and spend some more time hanging out with that guy. So uh, thanks to him for, for being on the podcast. I also want to thank our sponsors. I want to thank Sitka Gear. Again, just the best technical mountaineering gear on the planet. 
Uh, I love their their camo pattern. I love the function of, of all their gear that I can use it from early season to late season and everything in between, and it's going to keep me safe in the mountains. Uh, if you guys are interested in a new piece this season, whether that's a um, an insulated jacket, whether that's a rain jacket, whether that's their uh, lightweight hoodie, uh, just great gear that, that is built for the mountains and built to keep us out there longer and and uh, keep us hunting more efficient and more effective. Thanks to Sitka for all their support. And with that, um, make sure to check out that new Tag Hub if you guys are interested in that. Uh, the, the Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, Eastman's Hunting Journal, getting that promo code, uh, elevated 220 to 22828, subscription to both magazines for a year, and a Outdoor Edge replaceable blade knife. Check out the Beyond the Grid, Eastman's Hunting TV. And uh, with me, I'm just riding out the corona. Boy, it's uh, it's it's easy to ride it out when you live in a rural place like Montana. So, um, yeah, they canceled the girls' school. It's just unprecedented in my life, which is just wild. And I, you know, as I look into it, I definitely understand why, and it is a, a major deal. So, yeah, we're just trying to, to, to keep safe and um, keep everybody healthy and ride out this corona nice thing is there's no corona down off the river or the mountain so a guy can still get there uh just in the just in the end right now of finishing up this this house for this nice couple i'm like a week away so i always feel a lot of stress in this time of the project trying to get it wrapped up get them in it it's just so many man hours that go into it so i've been working hard at that and um getting really close. Yep. I'll feel good to pass off the keys and kind of start our springtime projects here. So, um, looking forward to that. I did take a hike for some horns, man. I made it to the bone zone yesterday, just pushed it and, um, went for it and got up in there where these bulls had been working and looked over a bunch of beds and where I found horns before. Like sometimes you got to hike so many miles just to get to the bone zone. And I got there last night, searched for a couple hours in there just didn't turn up any horns, just the way it is. But a guy's just got to keep going to those spots and keep looking. Now, the nice thing is, is the bulls all filtered out around the corner on the face so I could get up in there in that bedding timber in the afternoon, evening, and not spook anything out of there. So they're still working there. No boot tracks in. There's a shed bull in there, you know. So shed's laying somewhere, but probably not where I can get to them. They're not up high enough in that timber, but it'll happen. Um, just keep looking around. It's just fun to be able to get to the mountains in the springtime. Bear season's coming up, which I'm totally stoked about. I'll have to put together a, a bear hunting podcast here. I just wrote a new article that was a good one um, that's out in the Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal in this latest issue. So, um, but yeah, need to put together a podcast and just keep bringing you guys great next level content. Um, sitting on some good recordings now and working on some other ones. So, uh, just continue to to bring you that content but let's get into it so this is david brinker's uh single altitude from his album you can find it on itunes thanks again to david brinker really appreciate his friendship and uh let's get this song rolling and i'll check in with you next week Dipper shining bright tonight. I'm way out of sight of my hometown lights. Taking in a breath and the view. I was way overdue for some altitude. I've been thinking about. 
about you, honey, and I miss the kids. But I guess God wired me like this to feel at home underneath the moon, way up high in altitude. Cause there's nothing quite like my arms around you, not 